Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Welcome to episode 456 of Longbox Heroes. I'm Todd with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? I am ready to talk about comic books and all things therein related. Oh my goodness, that covers about everything, almost everything we do on this show. Yes, it does. Except when we veer off course and careen into the oncoming lane. Right, that's typically for After Dark. Right, but it happens occasionally over here. We get our we we take our hands off the wheel to adjust the radio, and something happens. So, but I think we'll try to streamline it this episode, Joe. So, would you like to know what's in the news? I'd like to know what we're going to be talking about on the show this week, Todd. Sure. Um, DC imprints. Oh, I want to talk about that. Vertigo. I wish it Verta stay. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Nepotism at Marvel. What's up with the Immortal Hulk? Uh, what's DC canceled now? Joe's favorite game. <laughs> um, also, we have uh, free digital books and sales and con news. What we read last week, which was uh, Batman 73 and Guardians of the Galaxy. I think we have some uh, listener mail this episode, too, Joe, if I'm correct. We, we do. Oh, my goodness. Also, at the end, we're going to have spoiler-filled talk of Swamp Thing, Krypton, and Good Omens. And is Good Omens canceled? Oh, more on that later, I guess, huh? Mm -hmm. So the big news, uh, as Todd mentioned, there is something that we actually talked about a couple weeks ago when there was some rumor and innuendo. And while we don't deal in rumor and innuendo, (laughs) we certainly do talk about rumor and, and innuendo quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that DC officially announced this past week that starting next year, 2020, that th- the only imprints that they are going to have are DC, DC Kids, and DC Black Label. So those Zoom and Ink imprints that they rolled out last year at San Diego end up seeing one to zero books published <laughs> oh under God. those imprints. That's a good that's a good ratio, don't you think? Uh-huh. And of course, that also means they will no longer be publishing anything under the Vertigo label. Right. Uh, effectively stating that DC Kids is going to be for readers aged twelve aged eight to twelve. Uh, the DC is gonna be the main DC universe, which is ages thirteen and up, and black label is going to essentially be what Vertigo is or was or could have been or should have been. I just want to throw this out there is they're not getting rid of the Vertigo imprint show. Because if you read the, you know, the, the uh, news thing that they put out, as a result of this new labeling strategy, DC will sunset the Vertigo publishing imprint at the end of the year. So it's not being canceled or they're not making any more. It's sunsetting, Joe. <laughs> Which somebody pointed out to me is like the dumbest way to say you're getting rid of the Vertigo imprint. <laughs> you're sunsetting it. I, I only wish that that announcement was accompanied by Dan DiDio singing uh, or doing a karaoke version of Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me by Elton John. That would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Ronnie yeah. James, Dan DiDio. <laughs> we already used that as a show title. We can't use that again. I know. You don't want to double dip. Right. But a, a lot of weird stuff is what's coming out of this. And yes, we're going to get into... 
uh, vertigo we hardly knew ye sort of thing. Uh, but a lot of, we've talked before about the Black Label, how they're retrofitting a lot of stuff into Black Label, whether it be, you know, new printings of Dark Knight Returns, new printings of Kingdom Come. It's very odd as to what is going to get, or, you know, a Black Label label, if you will. And obviously this is going into effect for 2020, so does that mean in 2020 all of our old Vertigo favorites are going to get new printings under Black Label, or is just what's out there going to remain out there? I'm with you. I think what's going to happen is that anything that needs a new printing, because we just, like, say, take Sandman. They just did for whatever anniversary, I don't know, they just released, like, the, or they're to the second last one of a complete with new trade dress Sandman collection. So I don't think they'll change, like, obviously it's not 2020, they're not going to change it to, to Vertigo. But when all those are uh, black label, when all those go out of print, the next run of Sandman will be in with black label, uh, on the, on the spine and everything. And then from then out, like, we'll sell whatever we've got, you know, in the warehouses with Vertigo labels on them. But from here on out, anything that's a mature label book will have the, whether it's reprinted or fresh, will have the DC black label on it. Mm. Now, of course, with this, uh, DC also announced a bunch of young adult, uh, middle grade and younger kid titles coming out over the next two to three years. Now, whether or not any of this stuff comes out is another story, uh, but it's things, everything from, uh, Catwoman prose novels, Starfire, uh, Swamp Thing, Mr. Miracle, a ton of Teen Titan stuff, a ton of Wonder Woman stuff. Uh, something called Batman and Robin and Howard. Uh, you know, the superhero girl stuff that already exists. Uh, there's Green Arrow stuff. There's Lois Lane stuff. There's Superman stuff. And isn't there a Johnny Constantine thing that's floating around as well? It could be. Hey, you know, you want your demonic fighting characters, you know. Oh, yeah. So here, the title of the book is uh, by Ryan North, who actually did a lot of good work over at Marvel with uh, Squirrel Girl. The book is entitled The Mystery of the Meanest Teacher, colon, a Johnny Constantine graphic novel. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, again, we're going to talk about the Vertigo stuff. But I think DC going to DC Kids, DC, and DC Black Label is pigeoning, pigeonholing themselves in too few boxes. And I yes. Agree. DC could barely keep track of one box to put their books in, let alone three boxes, let alone whatever. So if you're going to be putting out a bunch of, like, middle school or young adult stuff under the label of DC Kids, it is begging middle school and young adult people not to read your books. Mm -hmm. I think Zoom and Ink, which technically at the end of the day mean nothing you needed to have those separate designations so you're not calling books geared at kids who are 12 to, you know, whatever, that don't care about a monthly serialized superhero adventure that just want that young adult graphic novel or that young adult prose book to not be confused or not be muddied in the kids' section. I because agree. Even though it is a young adult thing, and it may be for ages 12 and up, if you put kids on the label, it's going to be in the kids section on Amazon. It's going to be in the kids section at Barnes & Noble. It's going to be in the kids section at the library. 
it's going to cause more confusion than not. I I'm with you. I really think, and I'm, I, you go to the other end of the spectrum for me, this black label, I think this black label is, a, is just a, a, you know, a fraud because you had the problems with Batman damned, which is finally finishing up this week. You know, you, you're going to put your vertigo books over there. So what are you going to, what are you going to put out of there? You're not going to do anything with your, with your prime properties in mature label stuff. You're, you're never going to see Superman or Batman in there pushing the edge. It's, it's all, stuff that you could have did in the regular DC universe, you know what I mean? Because they're gun-shy at DC right now. It just seems like this is all like a marketing strategy, and I've come completely around on the whole thing is it's fresh because somebody doesn't like having something 20 years old around. They want what I did. Karen Berger's gone. Jeanette Kahn is gone. Who needs their crazy imprint that they created back when I wasn't even born? You know, I want I want to put my stamp on DC, and that's stamp is black label and kids i just look at it as like you're i'm with you you're pigeonholing yourself into like three things that when when you have any nuance in between dc and dc black label it's like oh well this should have been in the black label thing no it should have been in the regular one and kids you better make sure that's all ages all the time because like you said it's going to be in the kids thing when somebody sees it it's like this isn't proper for an 8 year old but it is for a 13 year old but it's in the kids se- i don't know it's and the it's fact that they're they're labeling the kids stuff as ages 8 to 12 mm-hmm. and with this month's solicitations they're canceling you know final issuing a bunch of their younger titles, your Teen Titans Go book, your Scooby-Doo book, your Looney Tunes book, your stuff like that, which were probably more geared to like four to eight year old book kids. Right. And I just want to say on the Scooby-Doo one, I don't know if you saw me tweet out a few days ago or whatever. I think that has a lot to do with now they're they're updating. They're doing an updated animated Scooby-Doo cartoon okay for today's audience because who wears an ascot now joe you know what i mean i don't um, know have you gone to some of the bars around here no i haven't um but uh so they want to do that so i think they're clearing the decks of anything classic scooby-doo so you can have that fresh coat of paint on scooby-doo when the time comes and there's no there's no merch out there with the old scooby because everything's got to be you know an update well, there'll always be, like, that vintage merch that'll kind of never go away, but I get what you're saying. Like, you don't want to have an ongoing serialized thing mm-hmm. that's going to conflict with your ongoing serialized other thing. Right. Whereas you could go to Walmart and buy a shirt with the classic Scooby-Doo design on it, and that's not going to be affected one way or another by whatever this new Scooby-Doo cartoon is going to be, because those those will be over in the toy section or the kids section, and then be in the clearance section three months later. What I meant more was contradicting stories. Right, right. That's right. That's where I I got where you were going at. But the other thing, of course, with Black Label, uh, and we're kind of like postulating what's going to be in there. So here's what already has been either reprinted or is currently solicited to be released as Black Label books. All-Star Superman, DC New Frontier, Kingdom Come, and Frank Miller's Ronin. So other than Ronin, right. you mean all books that were just would have would have before these labels would have been considered DC books. Correct. So I don't understand how they're mature books. I don't for, know or for over 18. DC New Frontier is about as squeaky clean as a book as you could possibly get. Yeah, exactly. So 
where, like, where is Vertigo going to fit in this? And even at the end of the day, DC has kind of let the Vertigo name lose its luster because there was a yes. time where it meant something. It was the gold standard for a while. And, and I get what you're saying is that the new people in charge want their names and their brandings on whatever these new successes are. Mm-hmm. So by having whatever that next new thing is going to be, be under black label, that's great. But I don't think you're ever going to see another Sandman or another Preacher or another Transmetropolitan or another Fables or another anything like that at DC. No, you'll never. They're too scared. Yep. And it's it's not in – if it's something that's not in their universe, they don't want to share the rights with the writers and, and, and artists. Right. And I know a lot of other people, and this is out of my pay grade and out of, it's more of a creator sort of thing, where there are creators who maybe sign some sort of contract with DC that goes into or beyond 2020 that has something in their contract and your name's not Mike, Brian Michael Bendis, that you have something in there to do some sort of creator-owned something. Well, now that there's no place for your creator-owned stuff to go, what happens? Do you now have to just sit your contract out? Well, I don't. Maybe that's why it's not taking place till 2020, when all those contracts can be up. I, I don't know. You know what right. I mean? Right. Okay. And see, and that's and that's a question that's outside of my grade because I don't know who at DC currently has some sort of deal like that set up. I have a weird feeling Azarello has a <laughs> exclusive contract, and when that's over, woo boy howdy. Well, he is doing some sort of other book at Boom that's escape. The title of it is escaping me right now. That's you know getting some buzz around but i think it's getting some buzz because it's kind of like hyper sexualized and the books come in like the black plastic bags at the stores right. for certain variant covers and stuff like that and it's coming off the heat of batman damned right too. right uh where was i going with this so oh, i'm sorry uh, you're paying above your pay grade with these right decisions. so the right the creator own stuff um DC is, it's going to be like, unless it's someone who wants to really write Batman or really write Superman or that creator who has that Mr. Miracle pitch in their back pocket, like how everyone who goes to Marvel has that Doctor Strange pitch in their back pocket. But I think we're even past that with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. You know, there is no more. I have this Doctor Strange pitch that just might work. It's like, yeah, Doctor Strange goes into space and he does everything now, you know? Mm hmm. Where I don't, I don't think you're going to see as much younger talent coming to DC to try something new on an old character because of how boxed in and how protective they're going to be of their IP. I, th I see a little of that, but I disagree. And there, you're going to always have the young whippersnappers who are going to come in and want to write the big characters. Um, unless you come out of the gates and, and even as a business, like, you know, decision, it, 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 unless you're like an amazing writer and you don't need that step, that's a step to get you to bigger and better things. You know, you know what I mean? Like, like I'm trying to think of a writer, like, uh, Brian K Vaughn could, could do it. And he did stuff that nobody cared about. It's not like he was doing it on Batman or Superman to get noticed. He was doing it on Swamp Thing and then his own creator owned stuff. He could have did all that stuff at Image, but other guys need, needed that stepping stone to get there. And I think that's what the big superhero characters will always be. DC will look for fresh, to mine fresh creators and new ideas, but we don't want too new 
and too fresh or anything that's controversial. See you, uh, what was the, the one, uh, Mark Russell book, uh, that went over to Ahoy Comics. Uh, the yeah yeah, it comes out next month. I know what you mean. Second coming. Second coming. We don't want that. That might get us some some trouble. But you know what, Batman doing doing this is he naked? No, then we can do it. You know what I mean? So we'll we'll see. And I think even some of that has to do with like Tom King, like whatever he's doing on Batman. That 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 poked. He has he did something along the way that scared the heck out of everybody in the upper ups, but. You know, until you're Tom King, you you get to be Tom King by doing those little like Mr. Miracles to to become Tom King. If that right. makes any sense. And and I get what you're saying that they are going to attempt to cultivate and there's that, you know, they're going to be that bright-eyed kid who wants that chance at DC because he read DC Comics his whole life and he wants that opportunity. But how many of those people getting burned is it going to take for no one to go back? DC's been burning a lot of people for a long time. Marvel's been burning a lot of people for a long time. They will always come back. You know what I mean? Like you, you have people, you have the greats tearing down. And I know he's crazy, but you have Alan Moore. He he got and people are like, yeah, you know, they did it to Alan Moore, but yeah, I'll go. Hopefully yeah. they won't do it to me. You know what exactly. I mean? Like it's like they did it to Alan Moore, arguably one of the greatest writers of all time, arguably. Mm-hmm. They're not going to do it to me. Joe Schmo, who had a hot buzz book over at Image for four issues. But now let's look and, and, and think. They never burned Neil. That's true. You know what I mean? They never burned a lot of guys. They just... I think... And, and technically think they, they didn't... Neil because Neil is a little bit more easygoing than Alan Moore. True. But they didn't burn... They technically didn't burn Mark Russell either. And in the end, I think Mark Russell's going to do better at Ahoy than he was ever going to do at DC. Right. Well, and Mark Russell's still at DC. He's still doing the Wonder Twins book. They got extended to 12 issues instead of six. Right. And I think it's just, here's a creator-owned book. Maybe we get announced as part of the big Vertigo rollout. Sure, we get some buzz. And maybe he knew at that point where they're like, listen, this book is going to be dead here anyway because we're killing Vertigo off in six months or a year or whatever it is. For cause and even still with DC, it's like, yeah, this thing that we solicited that you technically did as work for hire for us, we're just gonna let you take lock, stock, and bat barrel somewhere else. Which, you know, was nice of them in a weird way. Yes. Because they really could have stuck it to them, probably. Oh they yeah. They could have said, We're just we're just putting this in a drawer. Have a nice day. Yep. And that's and it wouldn't be the first time, and it probably won't be the last time. Mm-hmm. So, moving, uh, okay, so anything else we need to get out about Vertigo? Because we could sit here and talk all day and just cancel the rest of the show and just talk about Vertigo. We could sunset the rest of the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, But all I just want to say is, with, uh, literally, for that time, Sandman, Preacher, uh, Why the Last Man, Ex Machina, uh, Transmetropolitan, Swamp Thing with Alan Moore and Rick Veach, <sighs> Man, like uh, Constantine, Hellblazer. Hellblazer for for two hundred issues at least was amazing. Just you, you go down, you go down the list that changed comics. And without Vertigo, there would be no today's image. There would be none. It would all be badly drawn uh, art and, and terrible stories. But creators went there because. Walking Dead happened, and that was something that could have happened at Vertigo, 
but it happened at Image, and now Image is the, is the new Vertigo. Vertigo was that stone, and it, I, it, in all like joking aside, it is a, when I saw that, that it was official, it was a sad day. There was a time in my life when if it had a Vertigo label on it, it immediately got one to three issues, regardless. That's how good the, the Vertigo imprint was at that time. And now I'm done. Right. And, and again, just to kind of add on to that, you say image wouldn't be what it is today. Dark Horse wouldn't be what it is today. There was a time so, where Dark Horse was mostly licensed comics and and Hellboy. Right. And that was it. And then they started taking a chance because they saw D, DC taking a chance over at Vertigo. Boom wouldn't be what Boom is today. Boom, again, for the most part, was all-ages stuff or licensed stuff. And they started to take a chance on things by doing more horror stuff, doing more mystery stuff, doing whatever. Oni Press wouldn't be what Oni Press is today if it wasn't for Vertigo. So many of these second- and third-tier publishers that you read books from today would not be even remotely in existence, let alone what they are today if it wasn't for Vertigo, some... 26 years ago, 27 years ago, whenever they yeah. did the official rollout where Swamp Thing started as a DC book. Sandman started as a DC book. Uh, what else was in there? Like Shade the Changing Man. Hellblazer, Doom Patrol. Right. Uh, Those were all DC books, but they were mature reader books. Yep. And then they decided to roll them into the Vertigo imprint. Was it like 91, 92, 92, 93? I want to say 92-ish. And I'm trying to think, I think the first book at that time was a Sandman book or mm -hmm. like, I forget what the actual first book to, to hold the Vertigo label, um, was, but, uh, yeah, it's a, around that time. Cause I remember they did like the Vertigo jam thing where yes. they had like that, like sampler book. Yeah, but that was, uh, I still think an ongoing was the first one to have the label. Founded 1993. Was right, there you go. And uh, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to look and see what the first book was. Right, so it has it all here in uh, March of 90, or January 93, uh, Shade the Changing Man 33, Sandman 47, Hellblazer 63, Animal Man 57, Swamp Thing 129, and Doom Patrol 64 were all changed over from uh, DC to Vertigo. And the first book that published under that was the Death High Cost of Living miniseries. One of the greatest miniseries ever written. Right. And then that was followed by, and again, forgetting about this, Sandman Mystery Theater. A great book. Just unbelievable book that mm. doesn't get the, the due that it deserves, if you will. Lucifer. Spinning yep. out of Sandman, which is a TV show now. Uh, Books of Magic, of course, coming out of that. Uh, Jonah Hex Two Gun Mojo was a Vertigo book. Uh, uh, Animal Man by Grant Morrison. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, like it's it's ridiculous some of the the books that came out of that. The Dreaming, which spun out of, which was like a d different writers and artists over the the course of it. I Zombie was a Vertigo book, which is, you know, was on CW for a while. And it still is. It's still an ongoing show on CW. Well, it, this is its final season. So, yes, it's still ongoing. But I know definitely they're like, this is whatever's coming next is the end of it. Right. But Vertigo had a lot of influence, and it touched a lot of comics, and it touched a lot of readers. It made me grow up as a comic book reader, essentially. It did for me, too. Sandman 
change the way I look at comics. Because that's one of those things, as we said, all those books kind of got reverted over to Vertigo in the middle of their runs around the 40s or 50s or 60s in some cases. Like I said, issue 47 for Sandman. But I had been reading Sandman for a little bit. Obviously, I wasn't on from the beginning, but that retroactively made me a Vertigo reader before Vertigo was a thing. Todd, of course, being on before then, you know, however many years prior to that, I think the first issue of Sandman came out was 89, 90, maybe. I don't remember where I got on, but I wasn't in at the beginning of Sandman. Right. I got in late. Like, you know what I mean? That was when I had to go back and get. Um, I'm trying to remember where I jumped on into the Vertigo run. Because even like the first two trades of Sandman, as it were, the first two story arcs, um, outside of, you know, you have your first story arc with Dr. Destiny, mm-hmm. you get your one shot with death, and then you get, uh, Morpheus going to hell to get, uh, his key back. Right. Those issues outside of the, the death story, those are more or less just dark superhero stories. Like, the Justice League is in that first story arc. Yes, it is. And around, and then, then, uh, John Constantine shows up. And then after that, right after eight, they realize that they might have a hit on their hands. Mm-hmm. I remember Neil saying, like, can I get away? Like, can I get away from the DC universe? And after that, for most part, until he incorporates the Silver Age Sandman into it, he stays away from most, most, uh, like, D- mainstream DC stuff. From what I remember, but I would disagree on like uh, the superhero stuff because it goes seven is where it stops. And then it goes like dream countries after the first trade. And then we have the key to hell, which was uh, I can't remember the name of the book. And that's where that's to me where Sandman took off in the the regular, the Kelly Jones uh, right. art and stuff like that. That's where people noticed Sandman and had to go back and get stuff. But you get what I'm saying. Early on, it was still very steeped in superhero comics, as you mentioned, as they... Doctor Destiny, I'm with you. But then I think 8 was the the first one. And then later on, there was a one uh, Elemental Girl issue. And then after that, it was like, they don't talk about superhero characters until the end of the run when Clark and and Clark Kent and Batman are at the wake and everything like that. So, I don't know. That's just the way I'm you know, you had mentioned about the Golden Age Sandman and the Kirby Sandman with the yellow and the red costume and stuff all come into it as well. Right. But that's about it. Yes. So good. So good. And I, this is someone else who said this, and I, I, I wish I remember who said it, but I want to attribute this to them. I give this three years at most. Black Label? Vertigo being gone. I hope so. Because three years, three years will be the 30th anniversary. I, I really hope so because if we ever get another Neil Gaiman Sandman mini, yep, which is a possibility, and I buy an absolute, I don't want my 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 absolutes to go to death, the high cost of living, uh, absolute vertigo, Sandman one, two, three, four, five, absolute vertigo. You know, uh, the other the other mini series that they have, and then the new Sandman mini series, Black Label. No, that, that's just that's just wrong. You know what right. I mean? Right. Three years is going to be the thirtieth anniversary of Vertigo. They're going to do like a Vertigo month or a Vertigo event where they try to wrangle back whoever they can. Because it's been, you know, how can I miss you if you don't go away? New Coke time. And, right. And then people, are, and then some suit 
at DC, Warner Brothers are going to be like, oh, I didn't know this Vertigo thing was that popular. Maybe we should bring it back. And I, from here on out, I'm calling Black Label New Vertigo. There you go. And then when it co- it's going to be Vertigo Classic. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. Oh, goodness. All right. So I think we're good there on Vertigo. Moving along, just one last bit of DC news. Of course, what would this... It's been a while since we've had a cancellation. And Todd, they've canceled Watchmen. What? Okay. I guess it goes back to Alan Moore, the rights. No, 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 no. So there was a trade that they were going to put out called The Road to Watchmen, where they were going to take some question and Blue Beetle stories and kind of package them together, whether it be because of Doomsday Clock whether it be because of the HBO Watchmen movie that's or TV show that's coming out. Either way, that got canceled. See, I thought it was a comic of Bing Crosby and Bob Hope reading <laughs> reading Watchmen stories. But yeah, I I don't know. I, I think it's a weird uh reprint that they've done before of all the like, you know, Captain Adam and Blue Beetle and Question stuff. I think it's the wrong name for a reprint for them to do because yes. those characters should should be on their own. You know what I mean? I agree. And in other possible, maybe, who knows, something going on, we talked a little bit before about the November solicitations, or the, the November, the uh, September solicitations that are out. Um. In the verbiage of the Immortal Hulk books that are coming out in September, there's a lot of finality that's going on in it. Right. I think you're jumping to November because that's going to be when the last issue of Doomsday Clock comes out. Oh, that's but, right. Yeah, but we don't know. Is a finality, is it a new, is it an ending of this story and then we're going to get a reboot of a number one? Or is right. it the ending of the story? And it could be both because I know Marvel wants to keep this book going. Right. Because it's, it's the number it's a surprise hit. It's, you know, it's it's getting huge numbers. Again, obviously, Alex Ross covers, I'm sure, are helping a little bit. But it's a book that we talk about all the time because it's very good. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that Marvel would cancel it, of course. But, and you want to give it a new number one, that's great. But you got to keep that same creative team on there. It's got to be Al Ewing. It's got to be Joe Bennett. But what if Al Ewing's run the course on his story? I'm sure, well, it's not going to be the same gold dump truck that they used to convince Robert Downey Jr. to stay in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm-hmm. but it's going to be like, uh, maybe like a gold station wagon that they roll up to his house in. A tag-along U-Haul? <laughs> right. A, a gold Fortuo, whatever, that little tiny car that fits like one person. A sidecar on the motorcycle <laughs> yeah. with gold in it. They roll up to that, roll up to his house with one of those. Right. So it'll just be interesting. Um... I hope Al Ewing's not off the book if he comes like he hasn't said anything about it one way or the other. Uh, if he comes out and says, yeah, I only had two years. I only had 24 issues that I'm OK with that. I am, too. Uh, if they try to rebrand Immortal Hulk with some other new creative team on it, I might be a little sad. I would be, too. Yeah. But I've been enjoying this, you know, so I'll be sad to see it go if it's really gone. I was talking with Skinny Jeans today at the comic shop, mm-hmm. and we were just we took 15 minutes and just discussed how Immortal Hulk right now, because other certain books are on hiatus, might be the best book on the market right now. I mean, there is some you know you can for criminal for some other stuff, but pound for pound, man, 
I'm telling you, Immortal Hulk is really good from covers to interior to story to to horror to it's a it's it's up there. Well, uh, excuse me, you're bearing the lead. World famous recording artist Skinny Jeans, you saw him today. He was packing up books today. Oh my goodness! Because they because the, the comic shop had <laughs> had like a billion certain Batman dams to go out. Right. So they brought in. Some of the reserve, and he was one of them, and he will be there later today. <gasps> oh my goodness! I might have to get a mark picture with him. I was, we were gonna, I was gonna take a photo. I think Toronto said they were gonna take a photo, and just like look how humble he is. But he was in the back room with his little hat on, hiding, oh putting books in bags. Oh my goodness! Envelopes. So. I might I might have to bring an extra small shirt for him to uh, <laughs> wear on his next video shoot. We I joked. He goes. I said. Uh, <laughs> I said. Uh, I didn't joke about the shirt. I said. I because uh, I asked my son, "Are you going to put wear a comic book shirt on the next tour?" And he goes. He goes. Well, if uh, you know you know who wants to f- to sponsor my tour, I'll wear. One, <laughs> right? Oh boy! And I said. I said, how much for uh, Longbox Heroes to sponsor a couple of bars of one of your biggest hit when you? Not the whole song, just a couple, like a few notes at the intro. So we'll have to discuss that tomorrow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh. Anyway, no more distractions. Last bit of business. Uh, with those September solicitations, a new Spider-Man book has been announced, and Todd, as Spider-Man's biggest fan, me. Mm-hmm. Even right. bigger than Flash Thompson. <laughs> and we are in the throes of Spider-Man Puzzle Quest being rebranded. We're in the throes of the new Spider-Man movie coming out. Uh, I don't care about this Spider-Man book. Why not? You're a big J.J. Habrams fan. Uh, you know, J.J. Habrams is a good man, uh, <laughs> I guess. Uh, I'm sure he writes a lot of good things. Uh, but he and his son are co-writing a miniseries. Uh, just entitled Spider-Man. Uh, they got a good pedigree on there with Sarah Pacelli doing the art. Uh, you know, everyone from Dave Stewart to Oliver Copiel doing covers. Uh, introducing a new villain, all this sort of stuff. Miniseries, huh? Well, J.J.'s too busy doing, isn't he doing a Star Wars movie or something? So the yeah. son's got to carry the load. J- Listen, J.J.'s doing a lot of things, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, Todd, I had to get my t- trusty uh, piece of paper out here. Okay, it's not off of Wikipedia, right? No, it's not off of Wikipedia. Uh, this is the uh, the year-going tallies, and we're going to come to this a little bit later on, of course. Back uh, some seven months ago when War of the Realms was announced, mm-hmm. and it was announced as a six-issue miniseries that would go three months. Right. And... This week is the end of the series, and it went six issues, and it came out on time. There were no delays. There were no extra issues that were added uh, for a better ending, no anything like that. So, Todd, I could confidently cross this one off my list as a win for the show. Yes. Now, also on here is Doomsday Clock Ends Before November. (laughs) That ain't happening. Then we have from January... All of those uh, DC trades that we just took a bunch of random ones. And, you know, the Adam Hughes one is circled on here because that's kind of been like a a growing concern, if you will, because there's been more to that one than meets the eye. Right. So now I'm adding to this, Todd. 
how long is it going to take for these six issues or five issues or whatever the length of this miniseries is going to be? Is this going to come out at, on time? I almost think if it's going to be a little late, but not much. I, and I think it will probably be mostly for uh, Pacelli if anything happens. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling that J.J. Abrams isn't a part of this. He, he, this is the Brian Michael Bendis secret. Yep. This is my name's on it to get my kid a writing credit. And this kid's going to write the, unless he drags his feet, then I don't know. But I think he's going to want to get all this out and get his name out there and be the next star, a son of a star. You know what I mean? Right, and uh, I can't tell from the video how old, or the little video announcing things of how old Henry Abrams is, J.J.'s son. I think he's like 14. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is not, I'm going to say that this doesn't get finished. Oh, this is going to fall into some... Yeah, it's, it's going to take, whatever the length of this miniseries is, four issues, five issues, six issues, and I don't have the actual previews thing in front of me let me see if i could grab it actually i just looked up henry abrams's uh uh, age he's 21 years old Mm -hmm. so i think he's gonna how many rock bands in europe has he headlined huh oh i don't know Uh Mm -hmm. let me see here while the previews catalog opens up possibly in stores uh this week, for those of you that are so inclined, it was at our store. Did it open? It opened. I'm trying to find it. It claims it's a five issue miniseries, Todd. Claims? Then it's it'll go four. He'll end it in four. No, no. Five issue miniseries. This will take at least fourteen months to come out. Hmm. Oh, I love betting the under. Mm-hmm. So, because bet- again, I, I only because I like I like the month of November. So I say that this miniseries will end November 2020. You, you know what? I will take. I will. I will take. But I want one more month. I want. I want the full year of next year. For what? For it to come out. I'm gonna say. It'll finish by the end of Oh, uh, you end say of it'll next... come out September. No, December. You said it'll come out in November? Oh, okay. So you're going, I'm going, it's going to take 15 months for this thing to come out, or 14 months. You said it's going to be 15 months. Mm, I don't know. I'm going to take the under. I'm going to say less than 14 months. Okay. And again, this is just a gentleman's wager written down right. on a piece of paper. Stuffed inside of Dr. Doom mug on my desk. Right. Also put down Vertigo three years. Oh, yeah. Vertigo three years. Let me write that down, too. For 30th anniversary. I'm going to have to update this piece of paper. That's right. Well, you know what? I'll buy you a new piece of paper. Okay. Maybe somebody will, you know, through the click-through will send one in. And then I say three years because it's not three years from today. It's three years from when Vertigo officially goes away in 2020. Fair. You, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Vertigo began January of 1993. They're going to bring it back in January 2023. That's why I said for the 30th anniversary. Yep, yep. All right. So that's all the news that we have that's fit to print. Oof. A uh, bunch of, well, the, we knew the Vertigo thing was going to take a bit of time, you know? Yep. 
Uh, so, conventions this weekend. There are a ton. There is, uh, let me just look over the list here. Uh, there's the Corpus Christi Con in Corpus Christi, Texas. Dean Kane is going to be there. I think Dean Kane has the summers off. He's been popping up at a lot of places uh, recently. Mm-hmm. And uh, Michael Dorn is going to be there. I think he was a Klingon or something. He was Worf in Next Generation Star Trek. Mm-mm. I'm going to watch that show one day. Nah, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to. Uh, Glasgow Comic-Con in Glasgow, Scotland. Birthplace of uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. Mm. I wonder uh, what he wears under his kilt. His shoes, Todd. <laughs> uh, Chip Zdarsky, Frank Quitely, Brian Stelfreeze, Al Ewing are going to be there. So if you want to drive your uh, gold Forto up to him there to find out if uh, he's going to be doing more Immortal Hulk after issue 24. Then there is the O-Con in uh, Council Bluffs, Iowa, and a big uh, faux pas here of not booking George Takei to do this. The O-Con. Mark Russell and Phil Hester are going to be there. The Walker Stalker Fan Fest in Edison, New Jersey. Uh, The great Michael Rooker is going to be there, and Matt Ryan is going to be there. Not the dirtbag New York indie promoter, but Constantine, the Nick Fury of the DC television universe. That's right. Maybe he could, they could de-age him and he could play Johnny Constantine. Right. In the graphic novel of the case of the missing, I forget what it was before. Right. Uh, Then there's the Wisconsin Comic Con in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Neil Adams, Jerry Conway, Scott Collins are going to be there. Uh, then there's the Garden State Comic Fest in Morristown, New Jersey. Uh, Roy Thomas, Ge- Greg Hildebrandt, the Animal Chris Batista, Howard Mackey, underrated writer from the early 2000s over at Marvel. Joe Jusco and Walt and Louise Simons are going to be there. Greg Hildebrandt and Joe Jusco, two famous painters of the 80s and 90s, being at the same con. That's a huge get, in my opinion. Yes, it is. Then there is the Mississippi Comic-Con in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, Mike Zeck, Bob McCloud are going to be there on the comic book side. On the entertainment side, Jimmy J.J. Walker, Mr. Dynamite himself, is going to be there. If he's not at the Dynamite comic booths, they're missing an opportunity. I Listen, he should just be parked there the whole time. Also there... uh, Mick Foley and Ric Flair are going to be there. <laughs> I'm sure nothing untoward will come out as news reports <laughs> came out recently that Ric Flair had to cancel a very prestigious booking in Las Vegas last month to get a new pacemaker put in and then was photographed at the bar over the weekend. Because I think that's something that you should do three weeks after you have a pacemaker put in is go out drinking. Well, he's got all that shower curtain money, Joe. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but, uh, then there is, uh, the RobCon in King, Kingsport, Tennessee. Now, it's not called the RobCon. It's just called RobCon. If it was called the RobCon, that's a whole different thing regarding that brigade Kickstarter <laughs> from the Rob. But Tom Lyle is going to be there, another underrated penciler from the 90s and 2000s. And Butch Patrick is going to be there. Ooh. 
Uh, but the biggie, the one that I had to save for the end, was the Supernova Con in Perth, Australia. I know we had talked about the other Supernova Con in Sydney last week. It's nice to see a bunch of guys get to stay over and have like a nice like a week plus long vacation in Australia where they get to do two, two conventions out of it. Uh, Donnie Kate, Simon Bisley, uh, Humberto Ramos are going to be there. Uh, on the media guest side, Stephen Amell is going to be there. And I didn't look at the prices on this, but Todd, Barbara Feldman is going to be there. Agent 99. Barbara Eden is going to be there. The all-Barbara extravaganza. And Don Wells is going to be there. Oh, my goodness. If you were a child of the 60s, this is the convention for you if you want to borrow the copter for this weekend. And when you're coming home with the copter, make sure you scrape all the koalas off before, right. you, before you fly home. You don't want them interfering with our uh, environment here. Exactly. Going to drop a frog off before you go, you can do that. <laughs> don't bring right. no koalas back with you. Right. So the links to all of these conventions are going to be the show notes, along with links to the soon to be named network at soon to be named network dot com, uh, soon to be named network dot dot com, uh, where you can find all the shows uh, in our little network, like minded individuals. Sadly, things might be shrinking here in the near future, whether it be the latest episodes of this show, the latest episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark. Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Podvocacy, Wrestling on the Edge of Forever. Go check out Podvocacy, which is already out this week, and you'll see what I mean in regards to some of this. Uh, looks like Adults with Wrestling is going to have to start picking up the slack of a lot of these other shows. Whoa. Does that mean, don't worry, hopefully there'll be, you know, a few new podcasts along the way. Well, I don't know. Are you telling me something I don't know? I don't know. I got a ringtone maker. I'm willing to start some stuff. All right. But anyway, any any time that these shows come out or any of the folks from these shows, and you're kind of grandfathered in whether you're doing a show or not, and you appear on some other podcast, you let me know what's up on the site. You know, I like to keep everything all together. Uh, digital sales and freebies, uh, those freebies that rolled out last week uh, for Marvel are still there. I don't think they swapped them out yet. Uh, hopefully they'll swap them out sooner than the six to seven weeks they did last time. Uh, the sales this week, there's a Justice League sale. Uh, IDW is having a sale on Transformers and Ghostbusters stuff. And as they are calling it, it is a massive Spider-Man blockbuster sale. And I agree with all of those statements because, as I mentioned, we are in the throes of Spider-Man fever. I, I went to the doctor fever. and he said there is no cure. Ugh. <laughs> So, uh, like I said, all those will be in the links to the show notes as well. Todd, let's get in the books this week. Sure. Would you like to start with Batman 73? Yes. Let's start with Batman 73, the book that both of us were most looking forward to coming out this week. Uh, written by Tom King and drawn by Michael, how do you say his name? Mikkel? Uh, Mikkel Janine. That's what I say, too. Um, basically, this is following up uh, the fight with Bane and Bruce Wayne, a.k.a. Batman, has been busted up. And now his father, the Flashpoint Batman from Flashpoint, is taking him on the back of a horse, dragging a coffin through the desert uh, while being attacked by people guarding wherever they're going. And uh, Flashpoint Batman decides that he really likes singing uh, Home on the Range. 
And as it goes, you know, Batman's waking up and he's all, he's all busted. And the father tells him that he's done his best to help him put his spine back together, but it's going to take, it's going to take a little bit to, to, you know, to heal. And he says he's basically, uh, you know, taking him to a Lazarus pit and we find out what's in the coffin and, uh, we're, you know, this was a very quick read. I mean, I love, uh, Janine's art and stuff like that, but this one, like, cause I even like skipped a few of the, uh, the, uh, choruses of, uh, Home on the Range, but, uh, very quick. Uh, I don't know. I like this story. I just feel like we're, you know, after the nightmare storyline, every, it's everywhere, but every, anywhere. It, it could only go up is what I'm going to say. So I enjoyed this story, but I'm not really 100% sure of what's going to happen. Right. So this was supposed to be the beginning of some sort of big changing life event in the Batman books. Mm-hmm. But I didn't see tons of people losing their minds over this. Well, I think we have two more issues for that, don't we? Well... I'm going to make a little note for myself for spoiler discussion, okay? Mm-hmm. So I am surprised that we haven't seen... Well, okay. So Thomas Wayne tells Bruce that in the coffin, it is Martha. Right. So the plan is he's bringing Martha... You know, Martha... He, he essentially tells Bruce, it's done. I was there. I saw Bane destroy you. The Batman is done. I'm going, we're going to the Lazarus pit. I'm bringing your mother back to life and we could have the life that we had robbed from us all those years ago in crime alley. Mm-hmm. Do we think that's what's really going to happen? Do you think that's what uh, the big reveal is that he's going to put, he's going to put the family back together. Okay. So this is where, I think the speculation comes in because is Martha really in that casket? If she is, is that really Thomas Wayne's plan? If she's not in the casket, what is in the casket? If she's not in the casket, what is Thomas Wayne's plan? So I think it's a big thing. And this is not the first time that we've seen the graves of Bruce's parents messed with. I discussed that with someone today, that it was all the way back in the Tower of Babel with uh, Mark Wade's Justice League, right? Right, where that was the thing where he had the two cat was it Rasha Ghoul had the two caskets hanging above a Lazarus pit. Yep. So this is not new ground, but Thomas Wayne is here. Thomas Wayne was in league with ba- with Bane. He is telling Bruce that Batman is done. I'm bringing our family back together to give you the life that you deserve. Mm-hmm. I have a weird theory. And that's why there's going to be in spoiler discussion. I don't think Martha Wayne's in the casket. Okay. Do you know who I think is in the casket? Who do you think is in the casket? Selena. Okay. And I think he's going to go and he's going to be like, all right, you're broken. Cause he even says in this, I'm the Batman now. You're done. You can't, your back's busted up again. 
you know, I'm going to, he's going to beg him not to throw mom in the, in the Lazarus pit. Like that's, you know, sacrilege. It, it turns people and he's going to open up and it's going to be, it's going to be Selena. And he's going to go like, now, you know, like horror, I'm going to take over the mantle. This is your happiness. All you need to do is go marry her and go away and be happy. And that's what he's that or something like that. I wouldn't be surprised if they marry Selena and Batman in 75 secretly. That that was, you know, I have a weird like theory on that. But that's my opinion. So I my feeling on this is there's nothing in the co- the, the casket, the coffin. That this is all more of Thomas Wayne messing with Bruce. And it's going to take Selena stepping in to get Bruce's head back on straight from being mucked around and pulled around by Bane and Thomas Wayne. Mm-hmm. But I do think it is a big deal to take things this far. Um, I am surprised that not enough people are talking about it. But that's just kind of the way things go sometimes. Especially with, you know, how things went with Tom King and everything. I think a lot of people maybe think the story's been changed. You know? I wouldn't be surprised about that either. Right. So I'd like to find out someday, if whatever happens, if it happens, if it was legitimately what it was. Because he said in a tweet, nothing's changed. It's just all going to ship over to Batman Catwoman. So we'll see. What if the new Phantasm is Martha Wayne? Like Earth whatever, like Flashpoint Martha Wayne. But she wouldn't be Flashpoint Martha Wayne. She'd be our Earth's Martha Wayne. Or, you know, because Flashpoint Martha Wayne was the Joker. Right. Oh, boy, what a disaster that was. I mean, um... I think Martha at this point has to be DC Universe's Uncle Ben. We've come back from Uncle Ben being alive, not alive, all that sort of thing. We've come back from Bucky being alive, and he's alive now. Remember was the time where, like, Bucky and Uncle Ben were the two things that can never come back? Right. There's only two axioms in comics. One axiom in comics. Bucky and, and Uncle Ben stay dead. And then, boom, Winter Soldier, baby. Right. So not only is Bucky alive, but... He's been the star of many motion pictures and going to be the star of his own TV show on Disney's streaming network. Right. Disney Plus. Say the name right. Show some respect. It's Disney's streaming network. I'm not. Right. Anyway. So it's intriguing. It's, 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 it's a big move for Tom King to take to do something this big. Where it goes is, I think, more interesting than anything else. Right. Uh, but yeah, like I said, I'm, I, I, this was being teased as some sort of big life changing event, but I definitely think what you said about Catwoman's definitely going to be evolved. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see Bruce and Catwoman end up getting married and it just happened like off panel, like in between issues. It's going to happen on a boat. I'm telling you right now (laughs) on, on a bat boat, on a boat, because I keep saying this to people and people keep laughing at me that, and I say it over and over and over too, is that the whole thing where Bat and the cat keep remembering their origins differently, yes. where they met, and it's because it's, you know, the Silver Age, the Golden Age have different, and he's like, no, it was at a party, and she's like, no, it was on a boat, this and that, there, there's going to be a boat involved, and because he, he keep, Batman keeps saying, no, we weren't on a boat. 
And she says, yes, we were. And then they're going to be on a boat. And Batman's going to go, you know what? I remember it your way. We were on a boat. And you know what? Sea captains can marry. And Captain Compass is going to, you know, do you, do you, <laughs> boom, it's over. Oh, the return of Captain Compass. If Captain Compass marries Batman and Catwoman, give him all the money. And get his first appearance because it's going to be worth a lot of money. But it's interesting, and it's interesting that it's thrown in the middle of like a six or like a six part story arc. Mm-hmm. So it's good. It's Tom King Batman. It hasn't lost any of the quality, I think. But it was just an odd reveal, right? Yes, is the best way I could put it. I'm with you. So speaking of odd-ish reveals, the other book that we're going to discuss is uh, Gardens of the Galaxy number six. Uh, from this past week, written by Donny Cates with art by Jeffrey Shaw. So this is the big culmination of the first storyline that Cates has done here regarding the return of Thanos in the body of Star Fox, his son, half-son, brother? Brother. Yes. And this is like the big all-out fight between all the ragtag guardians. We got some... Inhuman types, the Lockjaw hanging out there. We got Hella, we got the Dark Order. It's just a big fight. Mm-hmm. And the goodies overcome. Exactly. My, my most interesting thing, and it's been a lot of other stuff with the Marvel books lately, is something happens with Cosmic Ghost Rider in this. And it's very interesting because it's like C... The new Avengers uh, comic, which comes out this week, um, and in the past, the uh, Guardians of the Gal- Galaxy annual, or, or no, the As Guardians of the Galaxy book was like, see this book. Have you noticed that like a, a lot of the Marvel books have had more uh, asterisks and see certain issues and how they're intertwining like their one universe again? It feels very like my youth reading comics again. I don't know if you've noticed it, Joe. It's good to have one creator who can handle multiple storylines. Mm-hmm. Or at the very least, a creator like a Donny Cates, uh, you know, a, a newer creator, as mentioned, like Donny Cates here. Uh, you get like a Mark Waid or someone like that who has some sort of overarching story and does bounce around from different books. Whether it be the Thanos stuff, whether it be the Cosmic Ghost Rider stuff, whether it be the Venom stuff, whether it be the Silver Surfer stuff, or whether it be this stuff, who decide and is a fan of those old books from the 80s with the footnotes and decides to tie it all in together, but not in a goofy, joking sort of way, but Mm -hmm. to make the universe feel bigger because all of this stuff, stuff does touch each other, but to actually acknowledge it is another thing that it actually touching each other. Right. But my big part is like something that Donny Cates isn't writing. Jason Aaron is going to write is, and it says to see the rest of this story, find out more in Avengers 22. And I'm like, wow. Okay. That's, that's interesting. You know, like we don't see, cause it's a different writer, but I, but I like it cause it makes me feel like the, sh- the shared universe. And I wonder how they're actually going to do it in the trades and stuff like that. Will that still be in there? You know, I wonder, cause and obviously that's, I wonder if that's even in the digital editions. I have a feeling it might be in the digital edition, but it's so easy to remove these days. You know what I mean? Right. So, but 
Like all, all in all, I enjoyed it. And we ended up finding like basically who the the final team is right now for Guardians of the Galaxy. Like all those characters that showed up, some stay, some leave, and we have our our lineup. And now, you know, the the question that hung that hangs in the air at the end is like, what about Rocket? And it's like, all right, now maybe we'll get the story of why Rocket Raccoon's not around. Right, and that was a through line through these six issues, is everyone's asking where Rocket is, we have an idea of where Rocket could maybe not be, and now that this much bigger threat, you know, the return of Thanos is done with, we can now move on to the smaller things, and we have who our team is going to be going forward, uh, in a very much, not as wide scoping, of course, that... Heroes Return, uh, Kurt Busiek, George Perez story arc, where it was every Avenger ever comes together. Mm-hmm. And then by the end of issue five or six, we're paired down to, you know, you got your big three, you got a couple newbies, and then you got like Justice and Firestar in there, where you have your team kind of fleshed out. Heroes so Return Avengers, we're going to have every Avenger and D-Man. Yes. Well, D-Man was an Avenger, Dr. Druid was an Avenger. True. Imagine if they tried to do that post-Bendis Avengers. It's like, Storm, what are you doing here? Anyway. Oh, Spider-Man. Wolverine, welcome to the team. Daredevil. I'm glad we forgotten about it. Well, we haven't forgotten about them, but, like, whoever at Marvel Editorial has kind of sort of forgotten about that. Mm-hmm. See, I don't mind, a, like, a, an oddball being on the team, like how currently Ghost Driver is on the Avengers. <laughs> right. But you, you get you get one oddball. Right. Maybe two if they're a couple. But to have, like, over half of your team being people who should not be Avengers, then you're not the Avengers. You're Na- name, name a bunch of people who shouldn't be an Avenger. Spider-Man should never be an Avenger. What? Never. He works better by himself. He works better as an occasional pop-in guest. And if anything, he works better... Uh, alongside the Fantastic Four than he does any of the Avengers. Right. He works better as a billionaire, you know, industrialist who's his own bodyguard. That's what he really works as. Because... Right. Also being said, the the Fantastic Four should not be Avengers. I like uh, the thing as an Avenger every once in a while. And, okay, I, I don't, I'll I don't give mind. you He's... one. I'll right. give you one. I'll give you the thing. You want to have the thing? Great. All four of them can't be on the Avengers. Were, were they all four of them on the Avengers at the same time? I'm almost certain they were. I don't think they were ever, unless you count, because all, I don't know if all four were, were ever an Avengers. I know Mr. Fant, I don't, I'm trying to remember. Thing, I remember, I don't know if all four at one point were ever an Avenger, or if one of them was never an Avenger, if that makes any sense. I'm babbling now, but anyway, go ahead. None of the X-Men should be an Avenger? And because there's because mutants are supposed to be hated and feared. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also, and again, I'll give you one here. None of the Inhumans should be of an Avenger. See, I disagree. I think you can get away with one mutant as long as it's not Wolverine, because he was, you know, he's on every team. Right. But I, I think you could do a storyline where. It's, we need a mutant. Why? We need to fill that gap, if you know what I mean. Like, as the government, like, we need a, kind of like, do you remember when Black Panther came on? They were like, literally, they wrote it in the story. We need him to fill a quota. And they're like, but he's pretty good, but we still need him to fill a quota. 
Well, okay. And so it would be cool. You could do it. You could be like, we need a mutant, you know, for, for the, for, for show purposes. And he well, ends up, you know, stepping up to the plate. Right. And we have had that before, but we've had non X-Men affiliated mutants be on the Avengers. Uh, going back to when like Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver were on the Avengers mm-hmm. or whoever it was. But if you, if you have spent a majority of time uh, as an event or as an X person, you should not be on the Avengers except for Beast. Beast is your one. You get one. You get one Fantastic Four. You get one X person. You get one Inhuman. You get one kid hero. You know, kid slash teen hero. You don't get like all the new warriors get to also be Avengers. No. I agree. You get one, but I thought you were making it sound you could never have an X Men on the team. No, no. You can. You shouldn't. You can. You shouldn't. You can have mutants on the team, but if, like, Cyclops should not be on the Avengers. Angel should not be on the Avengers. He's, He's fine in the defender. Defenders. He's fine in the champions. He's fine in everything else. Should not be on the Avengers. Jean Grey should not be on the Avengers. Like I said, I'll give you one. You got Beast, and that's enough. But, see, you're only doing that because Beast was was one of the classic lineups of the great runs of the book. Because he worked. It worked. Well, how do you... Anybody can work if you write it well. I don't trust a lot. I don't trust a lot of people to put, like, a whole lock, stock, and barrel. It's like, oh, Polaris and Strong Guy are now on the Avengers. Hey, let me ask Let me ask you something. There was a time when someone said, hey, our Justice League is going to be Batman, Martian, Manhunter, Blue Beetle, Dr. Light, Captain Marvel, Mr. Miracle... Um, I'm trying to think. Oberon, Guy Gardner, this is your team. Oh, that's not going to work. Better cancel well, that book now. Well, it was a different time. Oh, different time. Okay, DC so good books work back in the day, not now. DC was coming off a reboot. Justice League did not have the same cachet in 1987 that it did in 1992 to current. Mm-hmm. So you could get away with those sort of things. You could play a little bit more fast and loose. You know, you could have an Avengers team that was captained by Hercules and Cersei and they all wore leather and Black Black Knight and they all wore leather jackets. Was that a good run? No, it was a terrible run. So it wasn't written well is what you're saying. Uh, I think it was the wrong mix of characters and it was a different time. It was a different time. Who was the Jeff Johns run of Avengers? Who was on that team? The Jeff like, Johns run of Avengers was She-Hulk, which works, Ant-Man, Wasp, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor. Was Iron and Man? I think, and Jack of Hearts. Right. So there's your one oddball. Hmm. I don't know. I just look at it as anything could work if you tell the story well. You, but that's my opinion. We'll just go round and round on this. Right, you're just doing this to be contrarian and make the show go forever. No, it's, I believe, I be, actually, I actually believe that. I've mm-hmm. read a lot of good stories that don't make, that sound like a terrible idea, but were a really good idea when were executed well. Mm-hmm. So, that's all. Let's I, move on before we get in a fight. I feel those are f- more far and few between than actually hitting. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously, the Giffen to Matt is era Justice League was a, another situation of lightning in a bottle. But again, that was a different time. You know, in a different time, the Hercules, Black Knight, Cersei, 
Justice or Avengers could have worked, but it didn't. Yeah, because it was ba- badly written. Would it, a badly written book would have worked just as well in a different time. Got it. I see what you're saying now. There was a lot of crap that was put out from like the late '60s to the early '80s, mm-hmm. and it was just it was it worked, quote unquote, because stuff just sold no matter what. There wasn't the same sort of synergy and writers and people with whatever ideas they were to make sure a team is balanced in a certain way, not in the story, but from an editorial standpoint. I gotcha. Let's sunset this conversation. Mm -hmm. So that's what we read last week. Let's get (laughs) to what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around 5.30 Eastern time or so, we put up the pull post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week, where they get your books in print, where they get them digitally. However it is that you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed. Uh, Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. I am behind by four guesses. I don't have any confidence that I will be able to catch up because Todd has a thousand books that he's getting this week. And you're, according to the tally on the page, you're behind three. Yeah, I made a mistake. Okay. I have to fix that. Yeah, fair enough. So I choose first because I went first. Um, mm-hmm. I'm looking over your list and is the book you're looking forward to most because it was a paper on your in your Doctor Doom mug, uh, War of the Realms number six? Yes. Which I think is also the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week as well. Yes, it is. Yeah, legally it has to be. Yeah, I mean, there was a small chance for me it was Batman Damned, but because I knew of the gap that two and three were going to have, mm-hmm. when two came out, I just never read it. Do you know what oh, I mean? Oh, yes. Like, I read one, and I'm like, how long till three? Oh. All right. It, I mean, this isn't this isn't uh, Doomsday Clock. This isn't going to come out when you say it's going to be pushed back a few more times. Right. So I was like, I'll wait. And it was. It was pushed back a bunch of times. I remember this, that they were signing uh, Batman Damned issue one at New York Comic Con last year. So that'll tell you where we are. You know what I mean? So. Wait, wait, Todd, are, are you insinuating eight months to get a three issue miniseries out is untoward or not the norm? It's beautifully painted. It was probably a harder book to paint than it originally thought. Mm-hmm. All those nine panel grids. <laughs> All the characters in it, sure. Right. So while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of After Dark. This week, uh, on the Al's Gals version of After Dark, we're going to be discussing uh, not only Top of the Heap, very briefly, but also some uh, armchair casting of how Top of the Heap could have worked, <laughs> uh, as well as kind of what we're going to be doing for some of these shows uh, over the next month or so with some scheduling issues and the holidays and so forth coming up. Right. Uh, and, of course, if you subscribe to our Patreon, you can get After Dark two days earlier than everybody else. And you can get some classic Todd, Joe, and DJ podcasting from some nearly <laughs> ten years ago on the original show, Three Guys from Nowhere. Mm, uh, I you- hope we talk about Disney. <laughs> oh, we do. On the most recently updated episode, uh, we talk about Wednesday Comics, <laughs> another uh, DC attempt at something. The newspaper, not comics coming out on Wednesday. Correct. 
It was like a big newsprint sort of thing with a bunch of like short stories in it that came out weekly over the course of 12 weeks. Mm-hmm. Impossible to store, somewhat possible, possible to read, almost impossible to refold. I had no problem. They're stacked neatly in my bags and boards. <laughs> well, you're some sort of magician, I guess. I am a wizard. Yes. Yes. Uh, you can also click on our store to purchase, uh, Shirts and stickers and pins with our fancy logo on them. If you want more shirts, more logos, more anything, you can go over to our T Public store and buy a whole bunch of more designs, whether it be for Longbox Heroes, soon to be named Network, or for Add Odds with Wrestling. And the easiest way for you to support us is by per- making any and all of your Amazon purchases through our click through at the top of the homepage at longboxheroes.com. So one extra click. Doesn't cost you a cent extra. Gives us a couple cents on the back end. Uh, advertising fee is what they call it. As I always say here, the thing that makes Todd happy when he gets his cut of the money at the end of every month. Cha-ching! Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week was someone purchased the most recent first volume of Daredevil entitled Back in Black, Chinatown. Uh, someone also purchased... Uh, a man, uh, actually, someone purchased, I'm guessing the same person purchased, Match Men's Slim Tapered Stretchy Casual Pants. Ooh. And also Quality Durable's Men's Stretch Cropped Chino Pants. Ooh. And an old John Leatherman's Tiger Buckle in Italian Leather. Wallowitz from uh, The Big Bang Theory? I, maybe. Uh, and also someone purchased the Alpha Grillers Instant Read Meat Thermometer for mm. Grill and Cooking, upgraded with backlight and waterproof body, best ultra-fast digital kitchen probe, includes internal meat temperature guide. Listen, when you need to know how hot your meat is, this is the product for you. Right. And a follow-up from last week, uh, we had discussed one of the other purchases. Someone purchased a humane uh, rat trap, animal trap of some kind. And it was a longtime listener of the show and patron of the show, Jesse Tipton. And uh, he did promise a follow-up on this. And if you see in the show notes here, the lovely Longbox Heroes branded rat trap that he purchased. <laughs> in the uh, listener email from this past week, uh, here's a picture of just one of the five rats, uh, that he caught with his new Longbox Heroes Humane rat, rat Trap Device, TM. Uh, he decided to name the little fellow The Rob in honor of the show's newest segment. Uh, before freeing the little guy in a marsh near his home, uh, he did put a little pair of Levi's 501 Buttonfly <laughs> jeans on him. And, uh, he made him a Twitter rat account so he could live up to his name with social <laughs> media notoriety. Oh, follow that account. Yes. And uh, Jesse also mentioned he wanted to take you, Todd, to task Mm -hmm. uh, in that same email stating uh, no self-respecting pun fan could ever call Batman Batman and Robin a bad movie. Is it a bad film? Goodness, yes. But a but as a movie, it is a gut bustingly hilarious in its glorious cringeness. Todd, that's strike one. Two more and your license to issue puns is officially revoked. 
Well, all I have to say is I agree with Jesse Tipton. When I left that movie, I felt like I had a bad film on me. So I look at it as that's a good pun. It erases my bad pun. So I'm back to square one. You're back to square pun? Oh, square pun. Mm-hmm. You could do the heavy lifting. There you go. So, Todd, did we have any art attacks this week? Yes, we did. Uh, Joe, your co-host sent one in. Not me, though. What? The uh, Adam Van, the man Adam Van, wrote in, there was talk recently on Longbox Heroes, that's us, by the way, about Wade and Kitson's Empire, which led me to just now purchasing this page from issue four of the original series. And it's a beautiful Barry Kitson page of Golgoth, and uh, one of my favorite runs of a book, and... That's a beautiful piece of art. I I was actually looking at it myself, but you know, sometimes I gotta let the let the little people have their stuff. You know what I mean, Joe? Um also from T Bolt seven twelve, hey Todd's Art Attack, I want to celebrate Vertigo this week. One of my all time favorite series is Fables by Bill Willingham and Mark Buckingham. To say I'm over the moon with my sketches of Big B And Snow White is an understatement. And I never read Fables. That's one of the Vertigo books that I never did read. Um, But those are two beautiful pieces. And I'm a big fan of uh, Bill Willingham. And I always wanted to get something off him. So I'm jealous. And some guy said that that Snow White is on on his to-be-stolen list? That's just crazy. Uh, So that is a – Bill Willingham does beautiful work. And that Snow White looks – Perfect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely perfect. And it would look beautiful on my wall uh, when I steal it on the many other art pieces that I will be stealing from uh, old T-Bolts, whatever the numbers are at the end of his Twitter 712, account. who was at my house porch drinking the other night. Um, oh, boy. And he's very scared of you stealing his stuff. Oh, yeah? <laughs> he's legit scared. He's like, I got to watch out for you, so... Um, and also, wait, Todd's Art Attack, one more. A few years back, I was lucky enough to grab a copy of the Death Deluxe hardcover with a sketch from the one and only Chris Bacallo. I'm not his actual uh, Twitter name. It's real neat. The sketch is on paper, mounted to other paper, and then mounted into the hardcover. Great effect. And that is absolutely gorgeous. Uh, I want a Bacallo death at some point, um, and that's on my to-steal list, Joe, so dibs on that one. Okay, you can have that one. Right. And I want to go back to Adam Van's one really quick. Uh, A friend of ours both was asking, like, is that General Grievous in the thing? And I was like, no, that's Golgoth. And I think you've made... A grievous error. Boom. Now that's a pun, Joe. Yeah? Yeah. All right. That was good. And that's all the uh, art attacks we had this week. All right. So there's a lot to go over there. Okay. So before we go into TV talk, discussing the most recent episodes of Swamp Thing, Krypton, and episode four of Good Omens, I think that covers the main part of the show, yes? Yes, I can't think of anything else. All right, so uh, if you didn't watch any of these things, you're not caught up, you don't care what we have to say about these shows, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you all here next week. And we'll give everyone a second or two here while we get into those uh, TV talking points here. Mm-hmm. All right. So, Krypton. 
Yes. Uh, Krypton is back. We get a lot more of the uh, double dealings here as Zod sends um, Nisavex back, back, uh, threatening that he is going to keep her son Corvex and raise the baby as his own without her essentially attempting to implant her as a spy amongst the rebellion. Mm -hmm. Then we have more of, uh, uh, is it Lyda? Lyda's the, the mother of Zod and, but younger than him. Right. The whole swibbly wobbly. Yes. So she's training the, uh, new military folks. And then she has a run in with a young cadet who reminds her very much of Seg, and things don't go quite well for him. Mm-hmm. But I would say the bulk of this episode was Seg and Adam Strange dealing with Lobo. Right. Lobo was and- here to defeat and destroy Brainiac. Uh, Seg takes Lobo to the body, and he sees the body, but the essence, the consciousness, the what have you, of Brainiac it's nowhere to be found by Lobo's device because he's somewhere else. Where is he? Is he in Seagull? <laughs> Seagull. Yes. So Brainiac is inside of Seg, and Seg seems to be in control and has access to Brainiac's vast knowledge, uh, using that to determine how far Krypton, a.k.a. Craptown, is away <laughs> from where they are currently. <laughs> Uh, and also atta- helping Seg use the abilities that he has to defeat uh, Lobo in battle. Right. Um, and the crap town thing made me pop. I will admit that. When that happened, I started laughing. And Lobo um, is quickly growing on me. I don't know if you know this. Lobo's a pretty cool character. And I think this has captured a lot of what I like about Lobo from the comics and a lot of his humor and a lot of the stuff that's going on was an absolute blast. And like the nods to like what his name means. He's like, ah, it means he who devours his enemies entrails and thoroughly enjoys it, which is actually what his name means in the comics. And he's like, I don't know. I, I killed all my, you know, all the people on my planet before they told me what my name means. So there's like nods to, to the comic, but all around, I love Lobo, and I do like the way he kept shoving his skull cod pieces in cod piece in people's face throughout the episode. <laughs> Lobo TV Lobo is the cinematic Deadpool we deserve. Whoa, he's more Deadpool than Deadpool. He's more Deadpool than Deadpool. Absolutely. If Deadpool was a little. More and again, if Deadpool was more <laughs> subtle like Lobo, mm-hmm. then I think I would even find the R double doing this a little bit more palpable, <laughs> right? But there's something about Lobo that has a charm that makes me want to see more of him, but also yep. happy when he gets a giant hole blown in the middle of him as well, right? Which looked really cool. Um, and also, I would watch the movie Something About Lobo, okay, right. <laughs> But I thought this was a good episode. The, the, you know, you have your, your storylines going together, and then, of course, we also have, um, and again, it's a Jane Azad, where she was off on, like, that, you know, uh, like, off in that, like, uh... The Outlands. Li- yeah, off in the Outlands, so she comes upon a bar, 
And then the Kryptonian forces show up looking for her, and then she kind of takes them all out. So now she's back into the plot, where she wasn't in the first episode, but she was at the end of the last episode from the first season. Right. So, again, we've got all of her plot threads out there. And I do like the fact that uh, her daughter's boyfriend is there. And he, like, we think the Sagittarii come looking for her, and they're like, we're looking for a Sagittarii who's AWOL. And it turns out to be the guy. And now he's back. So I really, this, this show is like deeper and more complicated than, than it sh- not should be, but it's, it's intriguing. And I, and I really like that. And we got a good shot of doomsday open Kansas, you know, do- doomsday stuff, just like smashing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that opening scene, I guess, kind of before the credits where doomsday like rips up two people, like out right. of space stuff. And he looks so awesome, and they're like, we got to find Doomsday. And I'm like, oh, he's not a good, you know, it's not something you want to go looking for. Well, that's the ultimate weapon that Zod is looking for that he thinks is going to be able to assist him in taking over the galaxy. So I say that will end well for all parties involved. Right. And I also wonder if Seagull is going to get powers because he's on Kalu with a yellow sun, maybe. And we could see a throwdown between, you know, with, with him with superpowers. You know what I mean? Well, Maybe. We, did, we did see a little bit of him absorbing some of Lobo's shots more than Adam Strange. Like, Adam Strange was taking, like, 40-foot blowback bumps off, like, the swats of Lobo. Right, where right. Seg was at first, but then once he was there a little bit longer, he was absorbing the shots a little bit without being thrown back you know, dozens of feet. But I think people are attributing that to Brainiac being inside him, like doing some weird Kung Fu to just block it. But right. I think it's a little bit of both. And he's, re- he's going to find out what a yellow sun does to Kryptonians here. Mm-hmm. So. Very interesting. So Krypton's yeah. good off to a good start here. Yes, it is. So moving on to Swamp Thing, uh, just, so this one felt a little bit of spinning its wheels. There wasn't a, like there was plot progression, but it was all like in the B stories and C stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, The main story of course was more people literally mucking around in the swamp. A body falls out of a tree and a guy cuts himself uh, on the teeth. And then he gets infected with some sort of hallucinogenic fear thing that he passes on to multiple people by scratching them. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with the more I'm I and again listen to who I'm talking to. Uh the there was a recent horror movie from about two, three years ago called It Follows. Yes. You are familiar with that film? Yes, isn't that the one where if you have sex with someone the thing follows you? Yes. Okay. So that's essentially what this was, but instead of uh being a sexually transmitted disease, it was a very obvious close up scratch. Mm-hmm. Now I will say this. Uh, the part where the dishwasher guy had the snake on his hand. Todd? Was, was that, oh, was that the guy's name? I forget. Yes, Todd. It made me freak out. I was so okay. scared. So when he was stabbing his own hand with the knife, mm-hmm. that was some of the most frightening stuff I've seen in quite some time. Until he stuck his hand in the garbage disposal <laughs> and then pulled out his CGI goo fingers. Yes. And I'm like, oh, now I'm out. Well, I'm not the I'm not the goo finger aficionado you are. Mm. I will say him stabbing himself made me just melt into a puddle of goo. I was like, this is 
this is hurting my soul. Yeah, and it then, was rough, man. It was like I was cringing watching it. Right. And then he stuffed his hand in the, in the thing. And I still I'm still like, no, God, no, God, no. But where you think this is a spinning your wheels episode, I love this episode from the guy stabbing himself to the people having the hallucinations to the like the one guy remembering the bar being robbed to Cable's mom, uh, Matt Cable's mom, like thinking her son got shot. I thought all the maybe the, the Matt Cable one was the least like scary one because it was in daylight with all people around. But those other two terrifying moments and then you get to the avery sundry just manipulating his wife with the little girl okay to like total scumbag like you're like you can't make avery any more of a scumbag yet here we are so maybe okay i'm not saying this was a bad episode by any stretch of the imagination but outside of that with Avery manipulating the wife, bringing the little girl who has the connection to Swamp Thing into their home, whether Avery realizes she has the connection or not, but he knows she's important. So that's why he's trying to get something on her, right? Well, no, I think he brings the little girl in because he says it at the end, and it's a great line. He brings it in because he's going to use her to get money off his wife for his project. Because right. he even says to the guy, which is a great line, she goes, she goes, why are you buying a kid? Like, what's wrong with you? And he goes, you ever see those commercials with the starving kids in another country? You know why they don't put those on the radio? Because you need to see the starving kids. And so he's got, I do think he has other uses, but it's totally open his wife's purse strings. Right. But again, that was more the B or C story of everything. Well, the B story, I think the, uh, the Ian Zeering Blue Devil stuff is your C story. Love trying to find too. out what his Nathan, Nathan Johnson's special purpose is going to be. <laughs> right. Uh, but the A story, while good, it didn't feel like it was moving the plot along all that much. Mm-hmm. It was just more of like a monster of the week sort of thing. Fair enough. And I even like the but I like I, I believe me, I liked that. I thought the effects were good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the part with like I said, the, the, the guy stabbing himself with the hands. It's some of the most harrowing stuff I've seen in a long time. Right. And one last thing with the Floronic man, when when Abby's looking at the oh, stuff oh, in the thing oh, oh, oh. and he's like, This and that, maybe I should all your stats are wrong. It's either a plant or an animal. Pick a lane, honey. And she's like, well, they take a look at this. And he's like, what is this? And he just, he's like, he knows he's on, it's like, I'm a botanist. You better let me look at this. She goes, okay, I know you work for Avery Sundry. So I want total, like, you know, uh, I want no, no hiding stuff, total visibility. And I want you to pass it, the, uh, everything behind me before you let this out to the world. And he just looks at it and goes, why would I care about the world? Like, I just want this. And you're like, oh, I love the Floronic man. Like, Boy, oh boy, boy, howdy. Give me more of Swamp Thing. He, he seemed more squirrely this episode than he has in the previous episode. Right. I can't believe they sunsetted Swamp Thing, man. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so, but Swamp Thing was good. Like I said, don't get me wrong. I just felt as though the A story didn't do a lot to move the main thing along. A lot of it was happening behind the scenes, but it was still really good. Swamp Thing's <laughs> been good so far. Right. Uh, last but not least, of course, uh, again, there's too much, there's not enough hours in the day to get everything done. Uh, if there was, I would be done with good omens by now. It is great. I love it. It's fantastic. Right. Sadly, though, it's going to be canceled. It's going to be taken off of, uh, Netflix. Right. Cause there was a news story that came out. And again, I want to make sure that I get this information correct. Excuse me before I start reading off uh, incorrect information. I just want to make sure that I get the group correct. 
I apologize. I'm just kind of just meandering. Right, right, right. Uh, so it says here that uh, over 20,000 people identifying themselves as uh, Christians put a petition to have good omens canceled uh, for the many supported sins inflicted upon the faithful uh, among those ineffable crimes against organized religion. Uh, the group calls itself the Return to Order Campaign and feels that Good Omens was released as another step to make Satanism appear normal, light and acceptable, and mock God's wisdom. So the big problem with this was they put this whole petition together and this big protest to get Netflix to take Good Omens off their uh, their service. Mm-hmm. The problem is it's on Amazon Prime. Right. But in a kind gesture... Uh, Amazon Prime offered to cancel Stranger Things, which is on Netflix. So everybody's simpatico. This is the most game of, uh, game, good omens thing that could happen outside of the series. When I saw this headline, I could not stop laughing, Joe. I was like, this is the, this is the three card Monty switching the babies. This is fantastic. If this was some sort of elaborate publicity stunt, I'm not upset by this. I'm not either. I say, bravo, you got me. <laughs> and I had fun getting got. Right. It's one of those good omen gotchas. Uh, but yes, so we are closing in. We are less than five hours away from Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the postal service man has delivered all the things to the four horsemen uh, we get pestilence slash famine and death getting their deliveries. It's not pestilence. It's pollution. Pestilence retired. In the book, it was because of penicillin. But in this one, because <laughs> like at the time of the 90s, it was like, oh, we've cured so many disease. So pestilence retired. And obviously, as you know, the human race, pollution is completely taken over. So I always did like that little switch that pollution was the one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And... Uh, Adam, the Antichrist, is letting, I guess, the powers get the best of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was using, he brought a kraken to life to stop, stop some whaling ships, and his parents see on the news that it's the same kraken that's in the magazines that he's reading. Mm-hmm. His friends are starting to doubt him that some of the things that he's talking about are true. And he says, this isn't stuff on the internet that anybody could just put there. This is stuff that I'm getting out of magazines. You can't dirt just put sheets. any... Yeah, no, well, the dirt sheets. Uh, there's like two people that get a printed dirt sheet these days, and one is right. words. But anyway. <laughs> so you. No, not me. <laughs> okay. Not words. Come on now. Uh, anywho, but he is starting to let the power, I guess, corrupt him a bit. Uh, the Witchfinder General and the Witchfinder, or the descendant of the Witchfinder General and the descendant of the witch that kind of started all this with the book. Uh, they meet up and have an interesting uh, get-together. And uh, Aziraphale and Crowley have to deal with their superiors. Uh, Aziraphale, not so well. Crowley has been preparing for this moment for many, many years. Mm-hmm. I do like the fact that uh, that uh, Newton, who's the, the witch finder, the young witch finder, 
uh, is going to like, you know, to Tadfield to, to see things and his car, Dick Turpin flips over because of the Taiwanese that are listening to us in tunnels, mm-hmm. um, which is part of Adam's powers, the stuff that he read coming to life. So that, that made me laugh. And I like the fact that, uh, Hoster is waiting in the, uh, in the desert for the, for warlock, but it's not him. And we find out that Hoster's full name is Hoster La Vista. <laughs> Which is fantastic. Right. A great um, pun coming back to Batman and Robin. Yes. <laughs> so, um, uh, but yeah, like I just, there's a lot of good stuff. And my favorite bit in this whole episode is when they, when they go into the phone, um, Crowley and Hoster and they describe how it is and they do the dancing on the head of a pin. How many angels can dance on the head of a pin? No angels because no angels dance. Well, except for one, Aziraphale learned, you know, in the 1920s or whatever, a little dance and him being so happy with a group at a gentleman's club dancing the gavotte is, <laughs> was, I laugh every time. He looks so happy, Joe. I, my goal is to look as happy as Aziraphale dancing the gavotte. If I could reach that level of happy, I'll die happy. That's, that's what I want. That's, that was beautiful. But demons don't dance so well either. David Tennant dancing in the, like, the 60s outfit was another one that was cracking me up. I thought that was one of the most brilliant little scenes in the whole series. Right. Th- this show is great. And again, like I said, with more time in the day, with more hours to myself, I would be done with this. Mm-hmm. And I could certainly see myself. Um, well, no, again, there's stuff that's going to deter me from doing this. Uh, I don't want to give myself too much I, to watch, of course, because I, I can certainly get one episode in. Two would be pushing it. Right. But I really want to finish it. It's one, And that's the thing. I, you know, I was talking to April, my wife, about this this morning. Because she read the book, and I said, here's where I'm up to. And she goes, I can't wait to watch this show. And I said, I can't wait to watch it again when I'm done. Right. Whenever that is. Whenever she decides that she has, you know, just under six hours uh, to devote to watching the Good Omens TV show, I have no problem watching this entire thing again. Right. I'm glad you enjoyed it, because I, yes. I had a blast. I wish I could go in cold like you. Yes. Because there's a lot of stuff that I know that's just like spoiled. And now I don't know if you notice it as you're watching the, the opening with the music and everything that it's every character in the show marching to Armageddon. No. Like if you go back, you won't recognize everybody, but now take a minute, take a minute and watch the opening in full and look around. The little it, animated deal, right? Yes, with the with the theme song and everything. It starts out with with Crowley and Aziraphale at the beginning of time, and then as they're walking, people throughout time start following them, and then they show like Aziraphale and Crowley eating dinner, like at this point. And as it goes, you could pick out now not everybody because we have two episodes left but you'll see the aliens fly by the boat that was dry docked at atlantis is there the kraken is there every character that's in good omens is in the intro marching towards their their final farewell they get to the end of whatever they're marching to and it's armageddon and they either fall off and fall into hell or they get risen up into heaven it's fantastic when you realize it. 
Sorry, I'm just I get a little I get a little uh, excited when I like. Yeah, things. again, you're very excited for this. But like I said, check it out if you have Amazon Prime. Watch Good mm-hmm. Omens; it's really good. Mm-hmm. Whether you read the book or not, I think you'll enjoy it. Like I said, it's only six episodes. Uh, so it's, it's a bit more time to invest, but uh, you know, maybe cram it in before Stranger Things season three starts up in two weeks. And then you have to do that. So I think that's it. I don't know if was there anything else you want to talk about about Good Omens or any of the other TV shows. Oh, that's it. I'm, you know, we're coming into the home stretch of like Good Omens, so I'm going to get more and more excited to as we get to the end. So. Yep. And uh, if by some chance I do get a chance to watch uh, more than one episode between now and then, I will let you know. I wouldn't bet on it, but you never know. Right. All right, then. I think that's everything, Joe. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for listening to episode 456 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Boop! Boop!